For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, Raider Nation, and welcome to another edition of the Believe in Raiders podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm Dennis Ackerman, pleased to be joined by former Raider great Stanford Route. Stan suffered the first loss of the season. Other than that, how we doing? Pretty good, man. Pretty good. You know, like I said, uh, uh, it's now October. Football is getting ramped, and it's, you know, we're now out of the first quarter. We're now entering the second quarter when, you know, teams really start to show who they truly, truly are. So, by all means, like I said, uh, I'm, I'm definitely still in high spirits. Good mood right now. Dan, another slow start for the Raiders. Uh, this time they fell behind the Chargers 21 to nothing. I mean, you played eight years in the NFL and falling behind two touchdowns or more in three of the four weeks. It's a recipe for a disaster at some point. No doubt about it. And that's why this loss, just like what you and I were talking about on Monday night when we were watching the game, that's why I'm not surprised at this loss by no means. And I say that because we snuck by Baltimore. We beat Pittsburgh. We snuck past Miami when it shouldn't have been a sneak. So the football gods have a weird way of riding the ship when it comes to certain things as far as, okay, we kind of gave you a little bit of a break that week, but now we got to go ahead and, you know, get that rent. The, the, uh, the rent is due. We got to gotta go ahead and pay that fee this week. And that's pretty much what happened. They took one on the chin. And I just think that, you know, nobody was expecting the Reds to go 17 and 0. At least I definitely wasn't. So if we're three and one after the first quarter and we go three and one each quarter of the season, I'm perfectly fine with that. Stan, from your perspective, what are you seeing from the Raiders uh, early on in games that's attributing to these slow starts? Oh, man. I think uh, number one, the offensive line has to block better. That's number one. And I think that because you see the Raiders get that torrential boost in the second half, they got to have that same mindset, that same mentality in the first half. And I think that right there to me, I think that's set by coaching, to be honest with you. I think the coaches have to set the tone for how the team starts right away and for them to not start off fast, but then go ahead and rattle off two quick scores to start off the second half. That shows that clearly you can do it. So you got to make sure that you go and you got to hit them in the mouth first and not always be reactionary. To me, I put that on coaching. I don't know if it's a certain type of play calling. I don't know if it's a certain type of defensive scheme. But for them to not start off fast, but to be able to go ahead and do things in the second half, clearly it's not ability because they wouldn't be able to do it in the second half. So I, t- I put that on coaching and, and making sure that the guys get off to a great start. Yeah, we'll talk about the Raiders offensive line later on in the podcast. You know, I think one thing, especially if you could tell Raider Nation, there is no need to panic. It's just their first loss of the season. Stan, they lost to a very good Chargers team. I mean, I would say the first four opponents that they have faced, the Chargers were clearly the best all-around football team. But it was just one game. The Chargers were better 
on Monday night. It doesn't mean, you know, this whole season is a disaster. You know, we have such oversaturation of coverage in the NFL. I feel like one week, my gosh, the Raiders won. They're going to the Super Bowl. Next <laughs> week they lose. Fire everybody. Trade Derek Carr. Gruden doesn't know what he's doing. Neither does Mayock. I mean, it's, it is a marathon, Stan. It's not a sprint. I mean, we're just week to week, just the expectations and the overblown you know, analysis from week to week, just it's unbelievable. Yeah, no doubt about it. And I be, and it's because it's only now 17, used to be 16. It's, all, it's because it's only 17 games. And you look at the Indianapolis Colts, you look at another team that start off 0-3, like the New York Giants. You start off, you come out the gate 0-3 or 0-4, you pretty much go ahead and hang it up and start looking toward next season and things like that. So that's why fans overreact the way they do every single week. But I think that uh, I, I think you got to really go ahead and temper your expectations of the Raiders. You got to ex- understand they were eight and eight last year. They were middle of the pack, lost several games the last second. That's why they didn't make the playoffs. And because they're starting off three and one this year, they beat the Steelers. That put them at two and zero. Oh. They then beat the Dolphins, put them at three and zero. Oh. To me, that's growth because that's a game they would have lost last year. The Chargers are a good team. They just came off a victory against the Chiefs at Arrowhead. They're flying high right now. Justin Herbert's one of the best young quarterbacks in the league, period. So when you look at all of that in its totality, I'm not surprised that the, uh, that the, uh, that the Las Vegas Raiders lost to the, uh, to the Los Angeles Chargers. So, But I do have reason for optimism because, okay, maybe they stumbled upon something in the second half and they can use that to start off in the first half against the Chargers the second time around in Sin City. Right. Stan, what did you make of uh, Joey Bosa's comments after the game that uh, Derek Carr basically got gun-shy after the Chargers hit him a few times in that first half? I don't think there's any I don't think there's any falsity to that. I think that Joey Bosa, as great of a player as he is, for him to say that, there's a reason why that dude said that. And, and like I said, so clearly he's a D lineman. He knows what's going on. He's in the trenches. You can see when somebody gets gunshot. You can see when somebody's punch drunk. You can see when somebody's ready to quit. So I, I don't really have any, any qualms about it. If somebody on the opposing side of the ball has something to say about you and they're directly competing against you every play, whether you like it or not, there's some validity to what they're saying. You know, Stan, I think that one thing that was interesting that, you know, Derek Carr said, yeah, it pissed me off, those comments. I love Joey, and he knows that. You know, we, we've gone back and forth. He was probably mad because I was talking a lot of crap to him during the game. It was an emotional day for them. I saw a lot of things about their whole team after, you know. Um, and uh, good thing it's a new week. He's entitled to that opinion and uh, saying those things, but it's almost like he watched the game in reverse. You know what I'm saying? Um, the game, game that I watched, you know, we came out and fought a little bit after they got after us a little bit up front. So, um, fine. You know, I, the opinions I care about is what Gru and Oli told me, you know, when I came in the building yesterday and today. And uh, it will always be that way, especially what my teammates think about me. Um, but we'll see them again. Um, and he's entitled to say that. He's a great player, great dude. Just don't, I just don't think he watched the game in the same order I did. I was going to ask you about that because it does appear that you're playing better in the second half after taking some hits. Um, yeah. Statistics show that. Um, so, yeah, do you, is that something confusing to you that I just thought it was unfortunate that he'd even think to say maybe he's just trying to get under my skin which he did piss me off so good job for that um 
but that's not a bad thing either. In that first half, Derek Carr did not have a lot of time to throw in that pocket. I mean, he was constantly hurried. And yeah, there was a couple of times when I felt maybe he could have held on to the football a little bit longer, but just wanted to get it out quickly. Yeah. But look, in the second half, he played a really good third quarter. I mean, the Raiders came within a touchdown after falling behind 21 to nothing. And I really thought the Raiders were going to come back and tie it in the fourth quarter when he hit that long, deep ball to Henry Ruggs. What did the Raiders have first and 10, I believe, on the Chargers? I don't know, 30, 35 yard line. Unfortunately, that drive stalled and missed the field goal. And that was kind of, kind of the game from there. So, you know, Bosa's comments, I feel like this is a rivalry. You know, if he wants to try to get in the head of Derek Carr, whatever he's trying to do, so be it. But, you know, look at Derek Carr in the first half, didn't have a lot of time to throw. I, was trying, I thought he was trying to get the ball out quickly in the second half. I thought he played pretty well. So, hey, I got to ask you about Hunter Renfro's hit. On fourth down, when he jarred the ball loose from the receiver. I mean, Stan, as a former defensive back, what did you think of Hunter Renfro's hit? I was, I was flabbergasted in a good way and surprised, clearly in a good way, on a multitude of reasons. Because, A, having the awareness to always count before the play starts, okay, there's 10 guys, I make 11, we're good. That's number one. To look over there, because I saw when the punt was about to start, I was like, wait a minute, why is there not a shield guy down there at the bottom of the screen? Maybe the Raiders are doing something a little tricky right now. And for him to be able to go ahead, count, be aware. Okay, I, okay, I can already see that gunner over there is wide open. I know what punters like to do when they find a gunner who's wide open by throwing the ball. By him to, for him to go ahead, take his time, size him up, and then go ahead and put his helmet right where he did and to be able to go and jar the ball loose, time it up, not hit him before where it's a pass interference, not whiff because he's not used to it because he plays offense. I thought just that level of awareness, the technique, the tenacity, and just the all-around ability to be able to decipher, disseminate all of that. In real time, I thought that was phenomenal. And that clearly shows that he's more, he's more than just a receiver. Like he's a football player. And just off of that alone, that tells me he has some sort of a background when it comes to the defense side of the ball, whether it's high school, middle school, whatever. And clearly, he still remembers all of those techniques that he was taught back in you know, high school, wherever he's from. Yeah, for those of you who don't follow high school football, a lot of these kids play both ways. They'll play on offense yeah. and defense. A lot of wide receivers will turn around and play defense as well. Stan, who's the biggest receiver you ever put a good lick on? The biggest receiver I ever put a Or good... just the biggest hit you ever put on a receiver. Who was it? Do you remember? Oh, you know what? Here we go. I would go, I would go two people first. Moose and Muhammad played for Chicago Bears back in sure. 2007. That was a pretty good lick. Uh, let me see here. Another one I would say is, um, is and he's not a receiver, but since you're asking me about players I put a good lick on, LaDainian Tomlinson, I, I put a good lick on him back in, I want to say 07 or 06, and got, I got to go ahead and just preface this. Kirk Morrison, our Mike linebacker, was making the tackle, and LaDainian Tomlinson basically uh, juked away from him, so he came right into my, right into my hit, hit zone. So it wasn't because, hey, like I'm a phenomenal tackler and I'm over here lighting up the Damian Thomas. No, that's not why. Uh, I, I basically caught him in the middle of ev evading one tackle 
And he basically fell into mine. And then the last one, I would say 2011 Detroit Lions, Nate Burleson runs like a little short screen pattern. And his, his back is to me. And he's looking at, uh, he's looking at Matthew Stafford. Matthew Stafford about to throw him the ball. I come up from behind, uh, uh, put a good hit on Nate, jar the ball loose. I think it wound up being an incompletion and not a fumble. And, you know, and, and Nate's actually a friend of mine. So, uh, so yeah, so like I said, th- those, are few th- those are three that come to mind. Did you say anything to any of them after the hit? Uh, definitely not anything to LaDainian Thomas because it, would happen, <laughs> it happened in the second quarter. <laughs> so, like, I ain't about to go and piss him off and got to deal with this in two more quarters. I ain't doing that. The other one with Musa Muhammad, no. Musa Muhammad, big, strong receiver. Like, he just looks like he can take you behind the woodshed if you piss him off. And then uh, Nate Burleson, no. Uh, that was a big game that we lost in December 2011, which led to us losing the, the division. So, you know, for the most part, I really – I talked a little bit just to kind of get myself amped up in certain moments. But for the most part, I'm too busy trying to think about, okay, what's coming on the next play? I know we're going to be in man coverage. What do I got to work on? What do I got to expect? What do I got to look for? So I'm too busy thinking about those things and less worried about actually jaw jacking, you know, going back and forth with the receiver. So you weren't a trash talker. You weren't trying to get into the other player's head. It was more about pumping yourself up. Yeah, I was more of that. Now, like I said, I make a good play. I may go and say a little thing to you. Uh, but I'm, like I said, for the most part, I didn't really try to do that that much. And I say this because we played so much man coverage. And this is what Nandi used to always say. When you play a lot of man coverage over and over and over and over again, all that receiver needs is to catch you slipping one time and then he had a good day. He had a 60-yard touchdown. So I did not want to go and put myself in a situation where I got to have pie on my face, so to speak, because we played so much man coverage. So I could go and play great for 59, 58 snaps. But one time he runs a double move on me, catches a 60-yard touchdown. It looks like in the stat book he had a good game. So I always was, I was always cognizant of, okay, the other shooter dropped the backside let me go ahead and not talk too much because you know what if he goes and makes a play on me then now he can go and talk crap to me and oh yeah the one play he makes on me that's gonna wind up on sports center so let me go ahead and be smart now fourth quarter we're up by three two or three scores we're playing a little bit more zone coverage and prevent yeah that's when i get a little bit more talkative but usually not until then and who was the biggest trash talker on the raiders when you played for them Oh man, biggest trash talker. Either on offensive side of the football or defense. Anybody stick come out to Miami? Warren Sapp was he a big trash talker? Warren Sapp wasn't the biggest. He would talk a little bit. You know, Warren Sapp was well respected, so sure. people really weren't going to try him. Uh, Derek Burge is another guy. He talked a little bit. Let me see here. In the secondary, we we really didn't have many talkers. Nobody definitely didn't talk. Right. D'Angelo Hall a little bit because you know fiery. You know very uh very energetic player. Let me think. Uh, on the offense side of the ball, maybe Justin Fargus a little bit. Okay. But Running I, back. Yep. Nobody that I really, nobody off the top of my head was like just a ferocious trash talker that I can remember from my days in the black and silver. All right. Well, the Raiders are a five and a half point favorite with the over under being 44 this Sunday against the Chicago Bears. It's already week five in the NFL. And football is back and better than ever. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back for another football season. As always, Bet Online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season. 
with a new updated site and interface, even more odds, props, and contests. Bet Online continues to be the number one source for everything football. So head to the website or use your mobile device and sign up today to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Don't forget to use the promo code BLEAV to receive your bonus. From football, basketball, boxing, right to your favorite Vegas casino games. Don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Well, as you know, Stan and I will sometimes uh, talk other stuff besides Raider Nation on this podcast. And Stan, Urban Meyer and the Jacksonville Jaguars have been in the headlines all week long. I mean, a lot of people were surprised when the Jags hired uh, Urban Meyer. The team is 0-4. You know, he's had issues with uh, strength and conditioning coach hires, some of the comments that he's made. And then after last Thursday's game, he doesn't fly back to the team from Cincinnati to Jacksonville. As said, he goes to a, a bar or slash restaurant that he owns. He's there with his family. Then video emerges of a woman grinding on Urban Meyer. Urban, I don't know, Stan, I guess somewhat apologized to the team from stuff I'm reading, but kind of put it on the players now moving forward. I mean, Stan, Go inside that locker room. If you're a player for the Jacksonville Jaguars, what are you thinking of your coach right now at this point? I can tell you like this. The thing that's probably the most telling is you not flying back on the team playing with us. And because you, we all know that one kid leaves high school, goes to college, still has to kind of come around the, you know, his old high school, hang out with, you know, the old high school buddies. Or I know guys that they go to the league. and they still like to kind of hang around their college friends, go back to campus, things like that. Urban Meyer, you are now in the NFL. You can't be going back to Ohio State like that. And the fact, and like I said, now by week, you want to fly up to Columbus? By all means, you're a grown man. You do what you want. But we're zero four right now, bud. We're supposed to stick together. All that. Why the hell aren't you on the team playing now? If this is a situation where he flies back to Jacksonville, usually players have the weekend off when it's a Thursday night game, and then you fly back to Ohio, let's say Friday evening, Saturday morning, nobody's going to say nothing about it. But you didn't come back with us. That's the problem. You didn't come back with us. What you did at the bar, being danced on by the co-ed or the lady, whoever, that notwithstanding, but you didn't come back with us. We got a problem with that because we already thought it was very <sighs> lack of awareness. You signing Chris Doyle, all the accusations with him going on at Iowa when he was basically let go. The strength and conditioning coach. Exactly. That's number one. Then, you know, you panic because the media got a hold of it. You panic, got rid of it after a few days. You then try to sign Tim Tebow, float that under our nose, thinking we won't smell BS. Then you decide, okay, you know what? I'm not going to be able to get away with it. Let me go ahead and cut him around week two, week three to preseason. And now this right here. So you're constantly showing at every juncture, there's a part of you that still just wants to do things the Urban Meyer way. And when you're in college, you got kids that aren't getting paid until now the NIL rules change. 
So they're going to sit up, they're going to sit down, shut up, and get, basically just let you do you because they don't want to lose their scholarship. They don't want to lose their starting spot. They don't want to lose their ability to now go to the NFL, live their dreams. You're dealing with grown men that make a lot of money. So they don't got to sit down and shut up or just accept what you want to do. They ain't got to do that. And they may not go and tell you to your face that what you did was wrong. They don't like that. But the thing is, you can lose that locker room very quickly. And you've already done certain things that already has the pendulum swinging far to the left. So to me, I thought that was BS. And I thought that it just showed lack of awareness. Now, like I said, him having the girl, him letting the girl dance on him, that's between him and his wife. That's between him and his family. Sure. That's already bad enough look. But from a player standpoint, it just shows lack of awareness because then if a player was to go and let's say he would have stayed back in Ohio because he's from Ohio, got a DWI in some sort of a scuffle at a bar, Urban, that's what you'd be telling him. Son, you got to have better awareness. You got to understand your surroundings better. You got to make better decisions. Uh, Well, uh, Urban, practice what you damn preach. Right. And so that's where I think that uh, it just shows lack of awareness. But it's because Urban Meyer is so used to doing things on his accord because when you're the head coach of a big-time university, University of Florida, Ohio State University, Utah, you're so big, you're so polarizing, you can pretty much run for governor in that state. Like Steve Sarkeesian could damn near run for governor in the state of Texas. You let the Longhorns mess around here and win the Big 12, go to a college football playoff game. He can he can run for governor. Nick Saban could run for governor in Alabama. Oh, absolutely. And so, and so they get that false sense of superiority where I'm not used to actually having to be held accountable for my action. Most people just kind of like allow it and don't say anything. Well, see, now he's in a completely different realm. He's in a completely different arena. And then you're 0-4. So that just adds insult to entry. And, you know, I love what uh, Shad Khan, the uh, the owner, said. Like, he said it's inexcusable, period. Like, he didn't go and basically kind of hide behind anything. He said, flat out, man, like, that's inexcusable. So, yeah, so just, you know, when you add the girl dancing on him or letting her dance on him, whatever happened, and things like that, I mean, that just that's just the cherry on top. So that's between him and his wife, him and his family. He's got to deal with that. Stan, you mentioned the locker room. Once a coach loses the locker room, is it completely gone or is there any way to get it back ever? It is. I mean, I'm not going to say it's imp- I'm not going to say anything is impossible. I'm not going to say that uh, simply because I didn't think that I would see a virus take over the world the way it has over the last 20 months. But I can say this, that it's close to impossible because for men, And this is one thing about us. And I'm pretty sure you would agree, Dennis. We as men, we can't unsee things, unhear things, unfeel things. Like we just, we're not wired. It's out there. It's out there. Yeah. Like, like we can't, we can't unsee things. Like we just can't. That's just, we're men. Like that's just how we're wired. So you're dealing with 53 men who for them, they can't unsee the fact that you weren't on the team playing, flying back. They can't unsee that. So I'm a firm believer. Obviously, 25 plus. They say the frontal lobe does not fully develop till about 24. So I'm talking about 25 plus. Us as humans, especially men, the reason why most men can't unsee, unhear, unfeel things is because when you do something, 
that's that's in your character period you can go i apologize i'm sorry that you can do all that but man to man you do something that's in your character you have if you never do it again in life that still is a part of your character because you were uh, you were able to do it once just like if you go out you dwi you go out and shoot somebody you go out and put your hands on a woman you etc 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 that's in your character if you're willing to go and turn your back on your brothers your friend your family whoever that's in your character man and i'm saying that myself included i'm i'm not immune so that's why players men can't unsee, unhear, unfeel because that's a part of your character. So you just gave me a glimpse into your character. So that's why when you ask the question, can you get that locker room back? Man, it's hard because players in the back of their mind, I still remember I still remember September 2021 when you pulled that. We're in 2023 right now. But I remember back then, right? you did that. So that it's very difficult to uh, get a locker room back. And I mean, you look at Pete Carroll, as great as he is, he lost a little bit of that locker room 2014 when they lost to the New England Patriots, trying to throw the ball on the one yard line instead of giving it to Marshawn Lynch. That team was never the same after that. And even right now, they're still not the same. And I think that's what a lot of it has to do with because whenever you do something to a brother, teammate, coworker, family member, whatever, from a man's standpoint, that's a part of your character. And that's why it's, a hard, it's hard for a lot of men to get past that. All right, let's move on now. Let's talk some Raiders Bears as Chicago comes a call into the desert on Sunday. Uh, Stan, Justin Fields, a rookie uh, out of Ohio State, making his third straight start for the Bears. What have you seen from him so far this season? Well, obviously, uh, you know, he, he, he was a little bit, I guess you could say he misspoke when he talked about the game not being that fast back in the preseason. Uh, you can clearly see that he's going through his certain growing pains, which is to be expected. And, you know, I personally have always had a problem trusting Ohio State quarterbacks because I think they have so much talent around them. I don't think that they run their offense conducive to actually preparing their quarterbacks for the next level. I think they prepare their quarterbacks to be good on the collegiate level, and that's it. But that's my opinion. So let me go ahead and just and move on. So, I mean, I think that obviously he's got a lot of talent, got a big, strong arm. He's mobile. He can do all of that. So he clearly has the, the tools that you need to be a great quarterback in this league. It's just going to take some time for him to go ahead and grow. And that's why if I'm the Raiders, if I'm Gus Bradley, I'm throwing the kitchen sink at him. I'm blitzing him. I'm throwing exotic coverages at him. I'm moving from the from when he snaps the ball, he's going to see a different snapshot from when he's uh, from pre-snap to post-snap. I'm going to confuse him. I'm going to have him have his second hello rookie welcome to the NFL moment that he had after the uh, the game against the Cleveland Browns. And then Max Crosby and Gakway, y'all got to get off. Like y'all got to get off, go back to how you play against Baltimore and even Pittsburgh. And I think that he's going to, I think you do that. He's going to have a long day. The Raiders will have a relatively easy victory because we all know Chicago's no joke on the defense side of the ball and Khalil Mack is still a stud and they lead the, the league in sacks right now. Here's what Derek Carr had to say going up against his friend and former teammate. I know some things about that guy nobody else knows. You know, like, we're, he's one of my best friends in the whole world. I love him uh, to death. I, I, he knows that. 
it's no secret. Everyone knows how how close we are. Um, that, you know, that's that's not hidden in any way. Um, uh, not only is he one of the best players, you know, living in the world today. You know, he's one of the best people. And uh, you know, when that trade happened, uh, it, it broke my heart. You know, I think we're far enough away from it now. You know, to where we can talk about it a little bit. You know, then you're like, well, we got to move on. You know, like golly, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, I'm gonna miss that guy and. Uh, I still miss him. You know, I love that guy to death, and uh, more so the person, uh, right? You know, I think you guys know. I mean, he was a great guy uh, to be around, great teammate. Uh, but yeah, that trade definitely broke my heart, man. You know, but we've gotten a lot of good players from that trade, and some good teammates, good dudes here. And I, you know, that's not me loving him and missing him. It has nothing to do with the guys that we have here, because I love these guys too. You know, uh, but. Uh, you know, again, he's one of my best friends, but I can't wait to see him because I'm not going to stop talking to him the whole game. Yeah, I think the uh, Bears offense averages just about 16 points a game, and you were referring to that Browns game. Would they sack him, I think, nine times or eight yeah. or nine times they got to? It I was, think Miles Garrett had, what, four or five on his own. Yeah, it was six between Miles Garrett and uh, Jadavion Conley. Wow. Well, the Raiders rank near the middle of the pack against the pass, and the bottom 10 against the run. So like you said, let's see if Ngakwe and Crosby can get off. You know, Stan, I kind of have a couple big concerns heading into this game. And the first is the Raiders' health, especially in the secondary. Now, Trayvon Mullen hasn't practiced because of a toe injury. Damon Arnett left the Chargers game because of a groin injury. Uh-huh. Let's talk more about this offensive line, Stan. We, you know, they struggled in the first half against the Chargers. As you mentioned, they're going up against the best pass rush in the NFL, Khalil Mack. They've Bears lead the NFL with 15 sacks. Uh, I was looking at pro football focus. They graded out the Raiders' offensive line against the Chargers. I mean, Colton Miller's playing well at left tackle, but Stan, after that, Alex Leatherwood, he ranked dead last. Um, starting center, Andre James, also graded out last. Now, this is just based on last week's game. And then you and I were talking. I saw earlier there was practice video. Alex Leatherwood was practicing at right guard. So he moved over from right tackle to right guard. Brandon Parker was now in at right tackle. So Stan, you're five weeks in, you're moving your number one pick from right tackle to right guard, and you're inserting Brandon Parker. And now I know the Raiders offensive line is a little beat up. Richie Incognito still hasn't played. He's on the IL. Uh, Denzel Good out for the year. But Stan, I talked about this before the season. This was an area of concern. They blew up this offensive line. In the offseason, they said they wanted to get younger and they wanted to get cheaper up front. And now you're making these changes in week five. What do you make of it? I just think that that's how football goes. Clearly, we did not see the Las Vegas Raiders as being a juggernaut on the offensive line uh, as far as that coming into the season. So we knew it would be a little bit of a work in progress. And like I said, that's what you have depth for. I think that there's a lot of moving pieces. Hopefully when Richie Incognito gets back, that can stabilize some of this. But Colton Miller's going to have to be the anchor, no matter what. And I think Alex Leatherwood, you draft him number 17 overall out of Alabama. He's going to have to be a player on that front five, whether it's guard or tackle. He's going to have to pan out to go ahead and make sure that they can protect Derek Carr to keep him being able to be up there in tops in the league, being able to throw the ball like he's been the first three weeks of the year, not the first four. And I think that uh, somehow, some way, they're going to have to find a way to patch this thing together so your man in the back can go ahead and have room to run and your quarterback can also have time to throw. So, Stan, does that mean keeping a running back in to block? Does that mean bringing an extra tight end to block? How do you make up for right now 
which is a leaky offensive line or a offensive line as a work in progress. You might have to. You might have to go ahead and keep the back end to go ahead and chip if you're going against a Khalil Mack or an Akeem Hicks, somebody like that. You might have to go ahead and run a little bit more 12 personnel, keep a tight end to block, a little bit more max protect. Now, that you're not going to be able to have as many guys get out to go catch the ball, but you might have to go ahead and do things like that or run a little bit more three-step, a little bit more quick game, get the ball out of Derek, uh, Derek Carr's hands quicker, or you can start running more sprint out where he's on the move so the defensive line can't key on him the way that uh, the way you see certain times the way you see certain teams. So I think there's a myriad of ways to go ahead and get around it, but they're going to have to make sure that they do that. Stan, you talk about 12 personnel. In layman's terms for the fans, what exactly does that mean? That is one back, two tight ends, two receivers. And that's probably a personnel that Gruden seems to favor, don't you think? Yes, exactly. And they're going to have to start running more pass plays out of it than run plays. And, right. keep, and, and keeping one of the tight ends not named Darren Waller into block. We'll see how it all plays out on this Sunday. All right, my man, let's move on and pick some AFC West games. And we'll begin with a good one. It's a rematch of last year's AFC championship game. It's the Bills and the Chiefs. KC is a two and a half point favorite. I know the Chiefs haven't played well through the first four games. Well, they did have an impressive win on the road against Philadelphia. Stan, who are you going with in this one? Oh, man. Uh, I would probably go with the Bills. I would go with the Bills. I think right now they're playing better than Kansas City. Kansas City lost to the Los Angeles Chargers. They beat the Philadelphia Eagles 42-30. to I feel like it should have been a much more comfortable victory given how the Eagles played against Cowboys. Uh, so right now, I don't know what it is, but it just seems like something is missing within Kansas City. I don't know what, but they just don't seem like the same team from last year. And oftentimes, whenever you lose the Super Bowl, there's a lot of studies that show, and even the numbers would suggest that the team that loses the Super Bowl doesn't even make the playoffs the next year. But I don't know if I would go that far about these Kansas City Chiefs, but I would go with the Buffalo Bills to win. All right. I'm going to go with the Chiefs, and I'm just one of those kind of persons that, you know what, I'm going to go with the defending AFC champs until someone knocks them off. So uh, I could definitely see Buffalo winning, but I'm going to go with the Chiefs just because they're at home. All right, another good game is the Cleveland Browns heading to L.A. to take on the Chargers. Chargers a two-and-a-half-point favorite. Man, they look good beating the Raiders on Monday night. Browns have an exceptional pass rush. You and I touched on that earlier. Who are you going with? I'd probably go with the Chargers, man. The Chargers right now look like they look hot right now. They beat the Chiefs, beat the Raiders. They're at home. They're feeling themselves. I'm, I don't trust Cleveland's defense all the way just yet. I think that Baker Mayfield has his own limitations. If the Chargers can stop that run game, if they can do that, I think it's going to be tough sledding for Cleveland because I'm not sure Baker Mayfield can go toe-to-toe with big, strong arm Justin Herbert. All right. Well, maybe I'm just hoping that the Chargers lose because they're obviously in the Raiders division, but I am going to go with the Browns. I'm going to say that defense is going to be able to put enough pressure on Justin Herbert and the Browns in a close one. All right, then we've got Denver at Pittsburgh. This game is a pick 'em. Uh, Broncos suffered their first loss last week at home against the Baltimore Ravens. Quarterback Teddy Bridgewater suffered a concussion. Not sure if he'll play. If he can't go, then it'll be Drew Locke. Uh, we know it'll be Ben Roethlisberger at quarterback for the Steelers. Not sure if that's a good thing these days. Uh, Stan, who are you liking in this one? Oh, man, I, I like Denver. 
even if even if Bridgewater doesn't play, Drew Locke, he's a gunslinger. Something about Pittsburgh just seems all the way off. The way that they uh, the way that they get lost to Green Bay and even the Raiders uh, several games this year, they just seem off right now. Denver still has a good defense, even if they don't have Bridgewater. Like I said, Locke can win you a game or two. He's just injured. He's just turnover prone. So the entirety of the season, it goes up and down. I think on Sunday afternoon, I would give it to Denver. All right. Well, I keep waiting for the Steelers to somehow, you know, the switch to go on, the light to go on. I'm going to take them, but it's going to be a very low scoring game. 13-10, maybe 14-10. Throwback to the 70s. Not a lot of offense uh, and defense. Finally, Bears at the Raiders. Mentioned earlier, Raiders five and a half point favorites. Stan, you're up first. (laughs) I'm going going with the Raiders, man. Uh, They took one on the chin against Los Angeles. It happens. It's not the end of the world. I got it. Uh, I got them bouncing back against young Justin Fields. Go ahead, blitz him, confuse him a little bit, make some plays on the ball, and find a way to not allow Khalil Mack to wreck the game. Yeah, I'm going with the Raiders as well. I don't think it's a blowout. Obviously, the Raiders, uh, if you've been following them, they play so many close games. I think 24 or 14, maybe 27 17. The Bears just don't have a lot of offensive firepower, and I think the Raiders have more than enough to take care of the Bears at home. All right, Stan, uh, I know this is an audio-only podcast, but and I know Raider Nation's not going to be crazy about this, but over your shoulder, I see a signed <laughs> jersey of Deion Sanders. And Steve Young. Young. And, but there, it looks like there's a – is that a Miami Heat jersey as well? Oh, no, that's Gary Payton right there. That's oh, is that the old Gary Sonics jerseys? Yes, Seattle Supersonics. So were you a Sonics fan and a Gary Payton fan, or how'd that one come about? Uh, growing up. I was uh, in the 1990s. I was an Orlando Magic fan and a Super Seattle Supersonics fan. And matter of fact, I will go ahead and move this camera. Oh, nice. Oh, and Jerry see, Rice, Penny Hardaway. Jerry Rice, you will see Penny Hardaway. And then you'll see the greatest ever right there, Michael Jordan. So, yeah. So, uh, so now I'm, I'm, and I can say this now, and if it's no, it's no longer. Is much of a proximity rivalry like it once was. Sure, now agreed. Las Vegas, but I I can go ahead and say now full heartedly. Growing up, I was a 49ers fan. Right. I was Steve Young, Jerry Rice, Ricky Waters, Deion Sanders, Dana Stubblefield, Merton Hanks. I can Tim McDonald, Ken Norton. I go all the way down the list. I was a four. I was a 49ers fan, like to the nth degree, uh, all the way throughout my childhood in the 90s. And so, yeah, so this is my trophy room that you're now looking at, Dennis, for the first time. And so, yeah, I got several jerseys on the other side, but these are the ones that I have hung up because these are pretty much like my all-time favorite uh, players. Which is your all-time favorite? Do you have one of those jerseys hanging up? I would probably go with Deion Sanders. I've always loved him, Uh, love his persona, love his mindset, love his personality, love his play. And then I was a – what got me – is this jersey right here? A wanted to play football at a high level. That's number one. Number two, what made me fall in love? I like the 49, but what made me fall in love was the 1994 season. It was the 75th anniversary. And the reason why I fell in love with the 49ers is because that was throwback year. Right. And you can see right here. Yep. The red, the red jerseys with the with the shadow behind the number. And I thought number one, red is one of my favorite colors. So I just thought that was so fly. 
So yeah, so uh, so like I said, yeah, I'm, I've always been a, I've I always was a huge 49ers fan. Not anymore because like I said, Steve Young, Jerry Rice, all those guys left. And then when I got drafted, that's when all of a sudden I can't be no 49ers fan now. But you know, like I said, growing up, middle school, high school, I always was one back then. Now I can full, I can full heartedly say that, and not have to worry about you know so much ridicule. So <laughs> anybody listening to this podcast that wants to go ahead and you know condemn me for being a 49ers fan when I'm 12, shut up. Don't act like you're not a fan of other teams also, whatever. But no, but nonetheless, uh, always will bleed black and silver. Stan, if Namdi Asamoah didn't have number 21, would you have wore that number with the Raiders? Oh, man. Uh, pro- I mean, I didn't even think that deep into it, to okay. be honest with you. I mean, maybe, I suppose, maybe. I, I mean, as much as I love Deion Sanders, I probably gravitated to and – was more drawn to the number 24 as a defensive back. I don't know why, but like 24 to me just looks better than 21. But nonetheless, you know, 21, Deion Sanders, best to ever do it. All right. Who's St. Thomas playing this weekend? St. Thomas is playing, who do we got tomorrow? We got a uh, San Antonio Christian School. We call them Saks. And how are you guys doing and how good are they? Uh, we're four and two right now. I'm not even sure their record. I know it's not that good, but nonetheless, records don't matter whenever you're playing a district game. Uh, we just got to make sure that we get out with a victory. All right. What college game are you calling this weekend? Oh, uh, this week it's Eastern Michigan and Bowling Green. Oh, you're heading back up to the MAC. Yes. Uh huh. How you liking MAC football? It's the second week in a row you've done it. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty fun actually. Uh, definitely like the crowd, like the environment. So, uh, so it's a good look. Can't wait to do it again. Stan, great stuff as always, my friend. All right, man. Be good, Dennis. Love being on with you. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right, Raider Nation. That's going to do it for another edition of the Believe in Raiders podcast presented by betonline.ag. For my partner, Stanford Route, I'm Dennis Ackerman. Thanks so much for listening. And may all your punts find the coffin corner. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.